Well, I just love a good hero story, don't you? Like the story of Zavi Ahmed from Uckfield, East Sussex, England. Can I just say that again? The place is actually called Uckfield. How would you like to tell people that you are from Uckfield? Well, that's where Zavi was from. And one day he was at the grocery store when he saw police trying to rescue a baby that had accidentally been locked inside a car while uh, the baby's grandmother was getting groceries and locked the keys inside the car. And so the police came and they busted out one of the windows because they could see the keys right there on the dashboard. So they busted a window out, but they were unable to get in because the window was very small and they were very big. And so they couldn't get in to get it. And that's when Zabi, who was five years old at the time, got to save the day. And he volunteered to crawl in through the window, got inside the car, got the keys. They were able to unlock the car and the baby was safe. Now here's the best part of that story. On that day, Zavi was wearing his Batman costume. In fact, I think we have a picture of little Zavi. There he is, so proud wearing on the day that he insisted on wearing his Batman costume to the store, he got to be a real-life superhero. So what is it that constitutes a true hero? We're going to start talking about heroes today. Is it someone in a Batman costume that crawls through a car uh, window opening in order to rescue a baby? Well, that, that certainly qualifies. Others would see heroes as someone who has extraordinary athletic ability. Maybe superior intellect or good looks or great communication skills or the ability to make others laugh or maybe even someone who stands for a certain political agenda. You can define a hero in any number of ways. As we jump into this new series called Heroes, let me tell you how we're going to define heroes. And it's not by who is the best looking or smartest or even most capable. A true hero in God's eyes, has everything to do with character. And so we're, we're going to look at different characters in the Bible, and we're going to look at different character qualities about them that, that causes them to, uh, to be a spiritual hero in some respect. Um, but here's the encouraging part. Sometimes most of these people we're looking at did things that made them seem more like a zero than a hero. They're not perfect. And there is one perfect hero, and we'll, we'll get to that one a little bit later on uh, in the series. We'll, we'll, we'll be talking about Jesus all throughout the series, but in particular, as we get closer to Easter, we'll have a chance to focus more there. But um, Jesus is the only perfect hero, and yet there are people that God gives us that are there to encourage us in our faith. And so I want to be real clear about this because my hope is that we would be inspired with the desire to be a a role model for somebody else. And that's not so that we can direct attention toward ourselves or so that we can be in the spotlight. It's so that we can fulfill what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11.1. He told his readers, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that's what this is all about, is that we would be able to set a spiritual example Um, for others to be able to follow. And I I would challenge you and just encourage you to think about that and maybe even dream about that a little bit. I mean, what if you became somebody 
that for generations to come, family members talked about your faith? I mean, what, what if they pointed back to you three, four, ten generations from now and were telling the stories about how you trusted fully in God? And why not? I mean, really, why not? Why couldn't that be every single one of us that, that we say, I'm going to go all in, I'm going to trust God as completely as I can, not that I'm going to be perfect, as we'll see today, and if you think that you can rule yourself out by saying, no, I don't qualify based on the mistakes that I've made in the past, I'm sorry, but that doesn't hold water, and we're going to see that today because our very first person that we're going to jump into is Abraham, and as we'll see today, Abraham made his share of mistakes, and yet... There's still a lot that we can learn from him, and he is given to us as an example in Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to open your Bible there with me, if you would. Follow along in Hebrews 11. We're going to be in Hebrews 11, and then we're going to flip back to the original story of Abraham in Genesis 12, and we might do a little bouncing back and forth between those two sections. But let's just start with an overview. This is the writer of Hebrews talking about, and and by the way, this is the chapter sometimes we call the Hall of Faith. He lists all these different Uh, men and women of faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with its foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham, by faith, did all these things. Now, let's go ahead and look back to the original description in Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 through 5, it says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So if you go back a little bit about Abram, and by the way, I'm just going to refer to him as Abraham for consistency's sake. That's what he calls him in in Hebrews 11. I know his name changed later on, but rather than trying to bounce back and forth, we're just going to call him Abraham from the beginning. But if you go back just a little bit before this at the end of chapter 11, it gives a little bit of his background and his, his family history. His father was a guy by the name of Terah. It said that he lived in the land of the Chaldeans and he moved his family And they were going to go um, to the land of Canaan, but they stopped. It says when they got to Haran, they settled there. So they stopped on the way. Uh, His father, being from the land of the Chaldeans, most likely was a pagan. And so this is interesting to me, too, that he he chose Abraham to be this great representative and to be the father of his people, uh, and they came out of a, a group or an area where typically... They would not have been worshiping the one true God. But um, that's God's sovereignty and God's plan and how he works. And so there are some things that we can see from Abraham that we can learn from. And the first one is just the fact that he was willing to leave his family and his father and the place that they had gotten settled. He was willing to follow God's call to go 
another way of saying that is this, that he left his comfort zone. Abraham left the area where he uh, was comfortable and where he had really kind of begun to get settled there. We don't know exactly how long they were there before God told Abraham to leave, but we do know it says that they were there long enough to accumulate a lot of possessions and people, servants and things like that. So they must have been there for some period of time and they were able to grow in their wealth during that period of time and uh, I'm thinking that it would have been really easy to get really comfortable being right there and having more than they needed and yet he was willing to leave his comfort zone. You know, when I, when I think about that, comfort, that's, that's one of the, what I would call, and I'll describe what I mean by this term, a deep idol that is probably the one that, that hits me more than any others. See, we, we went through in our men's Bible study a little while back a, a series uh, where it talked about idols. And there was a very helpful visual that I, I want us to go ahead and put that up uh, on the screen for you that, that helps to kind of give a, an idea of what they mean by deep idols. If you picture an iceberg, you know, the vast majority of the iceberg is what is beneath the surface, not what is above the surface. And so these, these um, behaviors that will sometimes come out above the surface are really just symptoms of a deeper root issue. There's something going on beneath the surface that causes these types of behaviors. And so this series and this study was about, I think there were five of them, if I remember right. Yeah, it looks like it. There were five deep idols that will then work themselves out. And so one of those is comfort. And I have to tell you, that's the one that resonated the most with me because I want to be comfortable. I, I, I don't want to, to be pushed in areas that, that are uncertain or unknown. And the idea of being in Abraham's position where all of his family had been settled and he'd been in a particular area and God said, I would just want you to get up and go. And I'm thinking that would be a difficult thing to do, especially if you like to be comfortable. Now, Abraham's motivation, I think, was to be um, faithful to God more than anything, but God gave him a little extra motivation here because it talks about making him into a great nation. He said, I will bless you. I will make your name great. You'll be a blessing. Bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And he had enough faith and he had enough vision to believe that, you know, if God says go and if God says I'm going to work through you, then I want to do that. And, and his motivation must have been for others beyond himself. Right? I mean, yeah, I guess if God says, I'm going to bless you more, who wouldn't want that? But Abraham was pretty well blessed already. And if his primary concern was to be comfortable, then the comfortable thing to do would be to stay where he was because he had already accumulated riches and other things. He would have been fine. But he was willing to let that go. And when you think about all that he had to do, you know, uprooting. Uh, now, granted, at this point, he did not have children of his own. He just says that he did take Lot with him, but they had servants and others. And I mean, th this had a, a big impact on a lot of people, his decision to uproot and go. And then can I remind you that he was 75 at the time that this happened? How many 75-year-olds do you know that want to give up their home and say, hey, let's go start over? Let's go start something new. Probably not real common, right? 
Now, granted, I know people lived a little bit longer then. Their bodies, you know, may not have begun to wear down quite as quickly as they do now. But still, this is a guy who had lived long enough to establish a lot of patterns and things that he was comfortable with. So I want you to think about what are those things that give you comfort in your life? It could be a job. It could be your home. It could be your bank account. It could be living close to family. It could be any number of things. I mean, what are those things that, that bring you comfort? And the next question is, is, is any of that off the table for you? Are there non-negotiables that you say, this is so important to me, and we would never say it like this, but essentially what we're saying is this, not even God could cause me to change that. Are you so comfortable with your home that you'd be unwilling to go somewhere else? Are you so comfortable with your job that you would be unwilling to consider something else? Is living close to family so important to you? that you would be unwilling to even consider God's call? Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily what God is going to call you to do. But the question is, are we willing to let those things go? See, that, and let me tell you where this hits home to me in thinking about this. and thinking about What are those things that are, that are most comfortable to me or, or most important to me? And one of those is this church family. It's been 21 years that this has been my life, and that, that we have poured into and, and been able to, to be a part of God working here. And so I love our church. I, I love our home. I love our community. I love the fact that I'm close to all my kids being right here. That's all really, really important to me. And so it has to make me ask the question, would I be willing to follow God's direction? Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the way God is leading, and it certainly at this point is not, and I don't anticipate that in, in any respect. Uh, in 21 years, by the way, of being here, I've never even had a conversation about potentially doing anything else. See, my plan is that I plan to retire here. I plan to, when it's time to not do full-time ministry, to retire from full-time ministry and then stay on staff part-time if they'll allow me to do that. I mean, seriously, like that's, I have a plan. Now, that's, a, that's a long time away. But the most important thing is, but what about God's plan? Would, would you be willing to say, okay, nothing is off the table from, from God being willing to lead in the direction that he wants to lead? Um, you know, depending on, on your perspective to hear me say, I, I have no intentions of going anywhere ever, that might put some of you at ease and that might be disappointing to you depending on your perspective. But we definitely need to have that mindset, don't we, of, God, wherever you lead me, I'm willing to follow. And it seems to me that Abraham had that mindset. And, and there's a reason that we're given why he had that mindset. In Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us, because he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. See, Abraham had his mindset not just on what he was experiencing at that particular moment, but he was looking forward 
to something else. We know from Genesis chapter 12 that he was looking forward, that he believed in what God wanted to do through him in that particular lifetime. But we know from Hebrews 11 that he had an eternal perspective as well. So here's another way of saying this, and this is really kind of the second thing that we can learn from Abraham, is that Abraham continued looking forward. That's what people of faith do, right? When we're trusting God, we're continuing to keep our eyes forward and we're asking uh, the, the, the really important question of God, what is next in my spiritual journey? What, what do you have for me? You see, if I'm focused on my own comfort then I'm not looking forward. I'm either looking down because I'm trying to take in all of the things that make me comfortable, or I'm looking back because I'm looking at all those things that got me to the point where I'm very comfortable. But when we're comfortable, we, we tend to not be focused on, on looking forward. That's what people of faith do. We say, okay, God, I'm thankful for where I am. I'm thankful for what you've done. But what, what is it that you have next? And not only in this life, but having that eternal perspective that it talks about in Hebrews 11.10. Understanding that God's purpose is so much bigger than just what we experience right here in this lifetime. So heroes of the faith are always looking forward. Are you? Are you the kind of person that's constantly looking forward and asking God what's next in our spiritual journey and whatever it is I'm ready to go? You know, from time to time, I, I like to take a moment to speak to specific groups of people within our church family. And in, in our um, 11 o'clock service, a lot of times I'll do that with our students, partly because I think it's important and partly because I don't want them to, you know, like check out on me. So we got to kind of try to keep them involved a little bit. But, but speaking to different groups of people, I want to do that for a moment today. And we're going to go from a different perspective rather than speaking to those on the younger end of the spectrum. I want to speak to those of you who are retired, who are in that phase of life. Um, where you have passed the torch in some respects because, as we said, Abraham, he's 75 years old at this time. And there is a mindset that is easy to, to fall into, and that is, well, I have moved on from my most useful days in the workplace, and maybe I have, have, have passed that torch to somebody else who's come behind me in the workplace. And I'm going to allow them to then take up that banner and run with it. And so, shouldn't I do the same thing in the church? Shouldn't I also step aside and the mindset of, you know, I've done my part and I've contributed. I just want to challenge you with that a little bit today. I want to encourage you to view the opportunity you have in maybe the, the later stages of your life as maybe the most impactful phase that you, that you could have altogether. So you have an opportunity to invest the time that you have in kingdom work. And yeah, it may look a little different you know, than it did in your younger years. Um, but figure out what that looks like. One of our elders, Rick Hoff, he's been retired for a little over a decade, and he said that some of the best advice he got when he retired was somebody told him, don't make any big decisions for a year. Like, take a year to kind of, you know, figure out where you're going. And now I can appreciate that and understand that. But at the same time, I would also say, but do work toward figuring out what is it that God has for me in this next phase. 
How is it that I could be most impactful uh, in this phase of my life? And rather than assuming that your greatest contributions are behind you, why not look at it as an opportunity for your greatest contributions to be in front of you? Because you maybe have some more time to be able to invest in those things. You never know the impact that that's going to have, not only on the church, not only on God's kingdom, but on individual people. And I often think back uh, to my early days of ministry, my first full-time ministry job. I think I was 26, if I remember correctly, when I started at First Baptist Church in Garland. And they, of course, were the, the, the home church that, that helped us plant Gateway. But there was a guy by the name of Daryl Strong that was uh, one of the deacons at the church at that time. And, and I assumed that he worked at the church because I saw him every single day. And he was always going by and he had this big old, remember they had the big key thing that would hang off your belt and it was just dangling. And everywhere Daryl went, it was just, you know, you, you knew he was coming up and down the hall and he was always moving fast. Daryl was a retired middle school band teacher. And even though he was retired, that guy was up to church Every single day doing, he was basically like a volunteer janitor. If somebody got sick and they were in the hospital, Daryl was going to see him and pray with them. I mean, he was just constantly involved in ministry. And that man had a servant's heart unlike anybody I have ever seen in my entire life. And as a 26-year-old, you know, new staff member, that impacted me. And I remember thinking to myself, and I, I know I haven't lived up to this like I would love to, but, but I remember thinking to myself, I want to be like Daryl. I, I want to have that kind of a servant's heart. And if I could have half the servant's heart that Daryl had, I would be doing very, very well. Here was somebody that could have very easily said, I'm retired, I've done my part. For crying out loud, I did it with middle schoolers for all these years, you know? Certainly, I, des- I, I deserve to kick my feet up and rest now, right? But he continued to serve, and it impacted me personally, and I know it impacted a whole lot of other people. Abraham, he was willing to keep going and, and go where God led him to go. He continued looking forward, but I do want to point this out as well. I think this is so important for us to remember. He did a lot of things right, but he did a lot of things wrong as well, because one of the things that happened when he... Um, took these steps into these new areas that God was leading him. When he went into Egypt, he was afraid because his wife, Sarah, was a beautiful woman, and he thought, they're going to kill me and take her as their wife. And so he told her to lie to them and to tell them that she was his sister. And I just have to tell you, I don't want to be, I don't want to put myself on a pedestal and be judgmental in my attitude, but I don't tell you, I, I wrestle with this one. This is your wife. And yet, he's put her out there to potentially be taken. I don't know what his plan was. I don't see. I just don't see. Like, what was the end goal he was after in this, other than saving his own hide? How did he think this was going to end? I don't know. But God sent a plague. They realized it. And and it ends up, they didn't take Sarah as his wife. But then, you get into chapter 20. And they go into the land of the Negev. And he does exactly the same thing again. And the same thing happens, and they're about to, to take her, and they realize, in this case, they see the two of them together and go, oh, that, that's not brother and sister, the way they're acting toward one another. And they realize that this is his wife, not his sister. Guys, I got to tell you, that, that's a major 
failure on Abraham's part. But I'm encouraged by that, and I'll tell you why. Um, It's because it reminds me that my failure is not the end of the story. See, the third thing I want you to see is Abraham failed. So do I. I suspect so do you. He's not the only spiritual hero who failed in a very big way, in a very public way, and who has his story uh, memorialized forever in the Bible so that we could all read about it. There are a lot of those, aren't there? Great people of faith who did great things. I mean, he's listed in Hebrews 11. But he failed. And it's a reminder to me that as much as we want to set an example and as much as we would like to look up to spiritual heroes and maybe even be that for somebody else, every single one of us is sinful. See, we need Jesus. Every single one of us. We need a Savior. We cannot measure up on our own. And that's why we desperately need to trust in Christ as the only one who is perfect. And because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. And because of Jesus, we can have those sins covered over. And because of Jesus, when we fail, guess what? We can get back up. And we can continue on. And it's not the end of the story. That encourages me because, like I said, I've failed in a lot of different ways. One of the biggest was about, I think, about seven years in to um, Gateway's history. And um, we came to a point where people were starting to talk about leaving the church. Some of our key leaders at the church were starting to, to consider going somewhere else. And I got wind of that, and I called a few of them together, and I begged them to be honest with me, because here's the thing, people generally won't be. But I said, y'all have got to tell me the truth. Tell me what's going on. And thankfully, there were a couple of people who were willing to do that. And basically what they said was this. They said, you know, we, we love that our church is focused on reaching new people. We love that, that we want to reach the unchurched, and we want to reach those that don't know Christ. But for those of us that are trying to grow in our faith, there's really nothing here for us. We're not being challenged in any way. There really aren't any avenues for us to, to, to be pushed and, and, and to grow. And that was really, really important feedback that I needed to hear. And what I realized, and you know how it is, and I hope that, that you have the ability to do this. Listen to everybody's feedback. Not everything is right, but it's important to be able to distinguish what is truth and what isn't. And as soon as they spoke that, it was very clear to me that this was, this was right. This feedback was accurate and that I was failing as a pastor in this area of really challenging and growing those that, that wanted to grow in their faith. Let me tell you what I, what I wanted to do at that point. What I wanted to do was to sit in a corner and cry. And those of you that know me know I'm, I'm not a huge crier all the time, right? But I, I, even I, it's like I just wanted to sit down and cry. I, I, I wanted to give up and just say, I, you know, maybe I'm, this isn't for me. But that's not the decision that I made. The decision that I made was, was to pray 
and to say, God, would you help me to become who I need to be to lead this church? Now, as you know, I'm still a work in progress, uh, very much still a work in progress. But that was, that was a significant moment in the history of our church because it changed my mindset about what my role is. I pray that I never lose my passion for those that don't know Christ and for those that aren't connected to church. That is very, very important to me, and, and I pray that it always will be. But also learn that there is another side to pastoral ministry, and that is to help encourage and challenge those who are seeking to grow in their faith. And that shifted things for our church. Shifted my mindset. It changed how I spent my time. And frankly, it opened the door for us to reach a lot more people because, you know, there's a whole lot more you can do by training up others and investing in leaders than trying to do everything yourself. And Moses had to learn that, that uh, the hard way as well. Um, guys, all of us, I share that story with you just to say this. All of us are going to fail. That's not the issue. That's not the question. The question is, how do we respond when we do fail? Abraham failed with Sarah, but he had a chance to redeem himself. And that chance came with the son that finally came. After 25 years, God's promise was fulfilled, and he had a son through Sarah. And in Genesis chapter 22, God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him on an altar. I want you to kill him. And Abraham immediately obeyed. And he left with his son, and he was planning to sacrifice this son that he had waited 25 years for God to give him. Now, if you don't know the rest of the story, go back and read Genesis chapter 22. We don't have time to go into it now. It's a phenomenal account of how God miraculously stepped in. But my point is simply this. Abraham passed the test. Abraham was willing to trust God through an incredibly difficult test that, that, that he came about. Let me close with back in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. It says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham had so much faith in God that he believed that he would somehow receive his son back. That's why Abraham is a spiritual hero. Not because he was perfect, he failed. But he got back up and he trusted God through the most difficult trial he could ever imagine. So what about you? When you fail, what are you going to do? Are you going to give up? Or are you going to get up? Are you going to trust God? Or are you going to say, I I've messed up here, but I'm going to refuse to stay in my comfort zone. I'm going to keep my eyes moving forward. I I'm going to believe God that you can work through me. Not just in spite of my failures, maybe through my failures. I want to encourage you, wherever you are, whatever situation you may be dealing with, to trust God and to know that God isn't finished and God has a plan. He'll work through you if you'll trust Him to do so. Let's pray. God, today I do pray that you give us faith 
to trust you through the, the, the difficult seasons of life. Lord, there may be some right now that are going through some tests and things that are beyond uh, their ability to bear by far, but you can, can give them the strength that's needed. And so, Lord, I pray for that. And I pray, God, that we are men and women and young people of faith, trusting you through everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.